Infirmary Media. Arc. People engage to stop a jewel in decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Jewel in decades. Poop culture popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Fan of ballet and sick, I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Jewel in decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history, we just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. I am Mark James, and this week we bring you the worst week experience, as I will be competing with the first week of July 1976 alongside these men. First off, Dueling with July 1996, say hello to Man Crush. That's right. I got July 2nd through the 9th of 1996, and I'm on the schneid right now. This is uh, probably about four or five weeks. I haven't won, and but I think I figured it out. I don't know if you, you remember, but I, most of the times when we record, I would wear my maroon Losar shirt. It said Losar across the front, right? and I tore the collar on this shirt. I had it since like 2001. And the collar ripped. And I think that's like a bad omen. And that's why I started to lose. So now I'm actually wearing a podcast New York shirt. There we go. So that's going to be your new lucky shirt. I think that's it. I think uh, getting back on the right track today, I think. All right. Well, we'll see if that luck pays off. Also returning to the panel this week is the host of the Miscast Commentary Podcast. Please welcome back to the show, Joe Finley. Hey, everybody. I am fresh off celebrating a virtual candidate day, and I am virtually partied out. But since we're talking about what we're wearing today, I'm wearing my Star Wars T-shirt, and you can't prove what else I am or I'm not wearing. Scary. <laughs> Actually, I wanted to ask you about this yeah. before we get started. Mm -hmm. I noticed on Twitter last night that you posted a Zoom meeting right to Twitter, and I immediately saw it. We were in the middle of something, otherwise we would have joined. Yeah. But I sent it to Mark, and I go, is Joe out of his damn mind. Like I will. Did you have any weirdos show? Oh, up? Not last night. Last night was kind of a dead one, but uh, I did this for my, uh, for my podcast last Friday. I went on by myself cause my co-host was away and I went on and it started with a uh, chubby Latino kid dancing for me. And then it was an old man, not clothed. And then I, and then Were I find you on a meagle or something. No, or like I, I thought that's why I thought Chattula. I was like, I was very curious. I'm like, what is this going to be like? And it was, it started go, it went crazy fast, but the entire thing is like unedited is on the, uh, is in the episode and I got to talk to a, to a listener and we were reacting to people who were coming in and out as, as it was going. It was really, really interesting. Is that, that going was, to YouTube? Uh, that's, that's on you. Uh, well, the, the video's not there because I was afraid of what I was going to find and I was right, but the, <laughs> but you can go there. But then it's, what's funny is when I went to transfer that file so I could edit it, it, something happened and the file got corrupted. So I re-recorded the episode. So you can also hear a, the bizarro, episode 106.5 where you can hear the bitterness the entire time going uh, anyway so next week we're doing independence day you happy yeah happy doing this for the second time. and then i figured out how to fix it so i just released both episodes because i'm not a waster of content man well good on you for trying that i'm never gonna do that I'm, I'm doing it again because i've i am a glutton for punishment you're a brave man <laughs> and as always here on the show we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. 
so you will know this week's celebrity guest judge from her iconic roles in Better Off Dead, Last American Virgin, and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. She is also the author of The Excellent Curls of the Last American French Exchange Babe of the 80s, available now everywhere books are sold. All rise for Judge Diane Franklin. Woo! <laughs> Merci Buckets! Thank you for having me on. And also, I am wearing an incredibly hot bikini with high heels and sunglasses and my better off dead coat. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Hard to top. So rock that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she wears this all the time, just walking around the house. It's amazing. That's my that's my daily wear. That's what I wear. Cleaning the house. Ding dong. I answer the door. Like, bonjour, how are you? <laughs> Would you like some French fries? <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five dueling decades categories, movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie, after all five rounds, we shall go to a final wild card round showdown. All right, duelers, strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Let's find out what they are as we play more Dueling Decades. All right, let's go right down to our celebrity guest judge, Diane Franklin, for the official coin toss. For my coin, I shall be using the... Um clamshell of a, an extra large clamshell of the last american virgin um and what it is is that um heads is going to be the cover and tails is going to be the back all right this will be between joe finley and man crush since i won the last battle you know what man crush you haven't won in a while you call it in the air all right Let's go heads. I'll go heads with that. That and let me just say that is like the best oversized clamshell I've ever seen. That thing is amazing. It's, it's the size of an original VHS player. It's bigger than your head, just um, for the people out there. Yeah, it's really, really big. And it's the old it's old school. It's the old one with the zipper and me in the middle with the guys. It's very cool. All right. Ready? Here we go. <gasps> Guess it's man crushes time. Okay. All right, Man Crush, you win the toss and take control of the board. What category are we going with first? Well, these all are pretty bad because it's the worst of month, so I don't really see. <laughs> there's there's nothing I could do from any of these rounds that's going to be any different. So let's just start with movies. <laughs> let's start from the get with movies, and I'm going go to go uh, to Independence Day of 1996. And uh, here's a movie that I actually remember renting this back in the day solely based on the cover of the VHS tape. Do you remember how fun that was? Where yes. you just go to yeah. the store. And I actually, I pick my wines like that now. <laughs> Did you go to Blockbuster? Yeah. I mean, was that back in the went? day? I had a, a local place called Joe's video that I went to. And uh, it was like a mm. local place. There were, yeah. The independent kind of, places, those were the right. best. Cause they had the beaded curtain. You know, they had like the dirtiest <laughs> movies, the best B movies. Cause if you went to Blockbuster, I think, you know, once yeah. Blockbuster kind of took over, you had no choice and you had to go to Blockbuster and it, it just yeah. felt so fake. It was imitation compared to those stores. But um, anyways, mm -hmm. 
I, I'm sure I was disappointed when I watched it back then because I was super disappointed when I rewatched this last night. And I'll preface this pick by saying two things. One, it is the perfect shit movie for a quarantined Independence Day viewing. And two, it's available on YouTube for free, which is doubly awesome because I couldn't imagine spending another three dollars to rent this maniac cop ripoff. They got me once. It's not going to happen again. Who was in the movie? Do you remember any? And who There's the nobody were? that you would know in this movie. Um, it is a Larry oh. Cohen movie, um, but a big, like a big pet peeve of mine, especially when it comes to horror films, just kill people and be a horror movie. Yep. Don't try to jam in social commentary. You only have an hour and a half. So just get to the good stuff, especially when in the, in the case of this movie, you didn't get your first real kill for 43 minutes, which is unheard of for a horror movie. No, that's not. No. Just, uh, okay. I'm not going to say anything more, but um, it's interesting when you said, you said Independence Day, right? Well, it's not, it's not Independence Day. <laughs> it came out on Independence Day. That's what I was wondering. I was like, wait, okay. <laughs> that would actually be good. That would be good. I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait a minute. I love that movie. Didn't it have Pullman? Yeah. That okay. nobody Bill Pullman. Yeah. Larry Cohen did not write Independence Day. He did write this one. Yeah. And I normally, I do like him, but this one misses the mark. They do like the cutaway, you know, on all the kills. So swing the knife and the next thing, the person's dead and supposedly had a $2 million budget, but you're not seeing it on screen here. I'll give you a quick synopsis and tell you the movie. All right. He's a quick, quick synopsis. Amazing movie right here. You get a bad apple that joins the army. He goes to desert storm. He's supposedly killed there just for fun. He gets killed years pass or so you think you don't even know because they don't tell you. His family gets the news that he's dead. Nobody cares. The body gets shipped home. And 40 minutes into the movie, he breaks out of the, the casket and starts killing. Isaac Hayes is in it. Wow, that's really good bad. That's super good bad. Like, yeah, you got some quality bad stuff there. Isaac Hayes being in it is the best part of this entire movie. Yeah. Um, all right. They have an Independence Day party for this little town. And he starts killing all the unpatriotic people that are there. And then, wow. to top it all like off... Today. His nephew <laughs> wants to be just like him when he grows up. It's a really heartfelt story. It's the movie Uncle Sam that was released on July the 4th, 1996. Not Independence Day. Just released on Independence Day. Oh, I distinctively okay. remember this on VHS because much like another movie, Jack Frost, yes, it had yeah. that really cool lenticular cover. The face. Yep. yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And that's why I rented it, but it's shit. That's how Jack Frost got me. So okay. uh, I'll pass it on to you guys. <laughs> well, that might be that, That's good. Good, bad. Okay. That, yeah. that is terrible. All right, Joe Finley, what do you have for the movies round? All right. Well, I'm going to take you to July 6th, 1986. Uh, I'm going to take us to one of our favorite places. I'm going to take you to Canon Films. And they went all in on a huge investment that did not pay off. They hired Texas Chainsaw Massacre director Toby Hooper to a three-picture deal, and this was the second of his three pictures. Uh, they hired writer Dan O'Bannon, who wrote Alien, to write this movie, and they brought in Stan Winston to deal with all the special effects. And he was actually working on Aliens at the same time that he was doing this, just to give you a an idea of quality. I am giving you the 86 remake of the 19. 19- 53 sci-fi film Invaders from Mars. Yep. 
featuring people like uh, Lorraine Newman was in it and Bud Court was in it. Uh, this movie, it cost $12 million to make. It made $4.8 million worldwide. It was a gigantic bomb for uh, Canon and for Toby Hooper. Uh, it was said that uh, Menachem Golem and uh, Yoram Globus were hugely disappointed with their investment in Toby Hooper at this point because of the giant bomb that he had with Life Force previous to that. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 was yet to come for him. And uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, they got some heavy, heavy hitters for this and really put a lot into it. But one thing, they did cut the budget fairly substantially on Toby Hooper after the uh, after losing so much money. They lost more than half their budget on life force uh life force so what ha so what happened is they, they ended up cutting this on him he they basically promised him carte blanche for his three picture deal and they had to start tightening the reins immediately after um the new york times went on to review this and said that toby hooper knows how to construct a horror film so it builds to a screaming pitch but the film becomes less terrifying once the aliens arrived we get lost in the complexities of the inventions and finally they seem overdone and overproduced uh, Variety called the film an embarrassing combination of kitchen boredom and that the writer's inferior screenplay fails to bring in new ideas or provide interesting dialogue. Uh, so, yeah, this was a pretty big stinker for canon. I love canon no matter what they give me, but it was a, a pretty hard fall for such a large investment. And that's Invaders from Mars. Wow. All right. So for my movie in 1869, Kentucky. A young boy and his friends set out to find a treasure chest hidden by his late father in the Florida Everglades during the Civil War. In the movie, Treasure of Matacumbe, released July 1st, 1976. This is a G-rated Disney film. It's a Disney <laughs> film even I was not too familiar with. I had never heard of this one, and for good reason. This is one of those Disney films that has been swept under the rug. Because this is the only Disney film to feature the Ku Klux Klan <gasps> in full robes and a burning. Now, side note, there is a good part of this movie that actually has one of the main characters, who is a young African-American boy, throwing Molotov cocktails at the Klan during a rally. In a G-rated G movie. In a G-rated Disney film. Yeah. It is 1976, though. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so beyond that, beyond the elements of racism, Treasure of Matakume also includes murder, attempted gang rape, and a lynching. So, hey, you can't go wrong with that. Treasure of Matakume, released July 1st, 1976. That's my worst of movies, ladies and gentlemen. Well, <laughs> I, w I was going to say, and Disney didn't even uh, sweep like songs of the South underneath. And then you threw the clan at me and it knocked me. For yeah, a loop. This is actually considered to be as bad, if not worse than song of the South. Uh, it was put up on Disney plus last year. And of course the outrage once again started as people remembered this film that it, well, it should have been forgotten. Oh. So let's throw it down to our judge, Diane Franklin for the ruling. For the movies round. So that is like not almost not fair because like I was ready to go with one and now like oh my everything's thrown. I'm <laughs> this is all thrown in a loop. Okay, so here's my my feeling. Okay, Joe, love you know I have a fondness for Canon. They at least tried to hire some good people, um, and God knows maybe if you see it and you're stoned or drunk, it could be funny. 
So I'm not, I'm going to say no to that. To, uh, sorry, Bachelor number three. I'm not going to say <laughs> that movie. Okay. That is not the worst. All right. Um, wow. You know, Nick, I have to say that I, I was gonna, you were really up there. Um, I was really bucking for you. You know, sounds like a horrible film. Um, the death coming way, way, way into the movie, way hour and a half later, whatever, like just, and the subject matter being making, just being sounding like, just like why and no, there's a lot of whys and no's. There, yeah, there's no um, explanation to anything. No point. Like you just feel, you watch your movie, uh, you know, Nick, and you feel like that makes me angry because I just wasted my time. I could have been sleeping you know i mean it just makes you mad right and that's why i say don't pay for it do not pay for it. it's an hour and 29 minutes by the way hour and 29 and they don't get that first kill for 43 yeah, wow. 43 minutes yeah so like i would feel really mad and you so i'm gonna say you're like bachelor number two like i'm sorry like i, I wanted to give it to you i wanted to give you a chance to be the worst but then now this just goes to show you never know until the last person comes in and now mark you're you really shocked me. You brought me in with the Ku Klux Klan thing and the rapes and the gang. Oh my gosh. So like, let's talk about like, your movie is not only the worst, your movie is, I wouldn't even say it's necessarily the worst. It's, it's, it should be abolished. It should, I don't know. It should be, it should be like, there should be a burning somewhere with fire and like, you know, like there were like tons. a day where everybody burns <laughs> that book movie. I don't know. Um, it's like a national, I don't, I hate this movie day. So, um, so yeah. And especially during this time, but I'm so glad you brought it up because I didn't know people made movies that bad. You know, I mean, I know there could be bad movies. Believe me, I've read some bad movies. I've auditioned for some bad movies, but um, gosh, thank goodness I didn't have to audition for this one. So um, there you go. The winner of the point is to Mark. Hey, let me ask you this. You, you mentioned that you'd, you've read for bad movies or you've been in, what would you say? Like the, since it's a worst of episode, let's see how, I just want to see the honesty here. Like what, what's a movie that you were in that after it, you were just like, Nah, it's just now. Nah. Okay, so even though I there are so many great aspects to this movie, and I love the way it was shot, the script was like so it, it mixed tones, and it was it went from like it's all I can say is it's like Benny Hill meets Gone with the Wind. Okay, <laughs> it's like it's like the two. It's like sex meets like Disney like it was like, like there you know it's like the two things like what what wait what are you trying to get me to think and that is second time lucky so I have to say that to me that movie was it was great to act in it I love the characters I mean I, seriously perhaps one of the best roles I've ever played because I, it's the story of Adam and Eve through time so I play Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden I think I've and seen yes this. it's what you think <laughs> <laughs> and yes, it's what you think. Because look, I'm a, I'm a method. I'm not a method actress, but I'm like I'm into being real. And look, if you think you're going to wear a fig leaf in the Garden of Eden, it's just not going to be happening. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just like, what? Are you serious? They didn't think about that. And then, um, oh, and then Garden of Eden. Yes, yeah, so I play Eve, and then I go to the um, Roman times, and then I play a French. Uh, 
nurse and I, I just it goes I play a punk rocker in a rock band and but all of them have like this sexual kind of double entendre thing and that to me was just at that time when I did it in the 80s that was old that was that was a Benny Hill that was like the old humor like double entendre you know right uh you know it just and so it was to me old-fashioned and what was the last time you actually watched it <gasps> Good call. I actually, they actually wound up making um, a, oh, <laughs> probably I'd say maybe 10 years ago or something. And the reason why is because we did a special edition where I did commentary. <laughs> commentary. Well, there I am nude. Well, well, there I am nude again. Whoops. Okay, there I am. <laughs> oh, I look pretty good in that one. <laughs> All right. um, well, at least you took something good from it. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the funny part was I did it with the producer of it. The funny part was he was like watching it, trying to be really like serious about it. Like, uh, you know, we took eight days to shoot this in the mountains of New Guinea, whatever, you know, like this kind of like New Zealand and we shot all this grenade footage. And I'm like, uh, no one's like looking at that. They're seeing my boobs. <laughs> 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 you know, I'm running through the garden and I'm thinking, no one is listening to him. No one can hear him. It's like, uh, they're only hearing me. You know, they're singing me run off. And they want to know what I think. And I'm like, okay. So, um, but I really wish, I mean, honestly, if that movie had no, if it, if there was a clean version of, or so, I don't know, if there was a way to do it. Do you know Mystery Science Theater? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They make comments. I wish they could have made comments about that movie. Like maybe on the <laughs> internet, if you did, uh, because that would have been hilarious. Oh like my God. Mr. Science Theater doing that. And also Terrorvision. If someone had done Terrorvision, they couldn't do Terrorvision. I think Terrorvision if should have been rated PG and Mr. Science Theater should have done comments to it because I love Terrorvision, um, but I think they would have done a great job and it would have been so funny. Yeah. Well, commentary about things that aren't PG is kind of my wheelhouse. So maybe I'll, right. I'll jump around. <laughs> yeah. All right. So then you're going to start your own channel now. making yeah. <laughs> And then you'll get banned off YouTube. Yeah. Right. Uh, you could just, just block everything. Yeah. Just put yeah. blocks over Digitize everything. Digitize it. Yeah. All right. So, Mark, you won that round. Congratulations. Good job. All right. So I pick up a point and take control of the board. Uh, you know, I think for the next category, we're going to do some hot products. Ooh. Let's go with some products. So I had July of 1976. Man, so many great hot products out during that time. But unfortunately, none of them during my week. So I had to go over to our good friends over at newspapers.com to look for an article. So I went to the Indianapolis Star on July 7th, 1976, which was the last day of my week. Um, and there is an article here that says, New Products Exhibit High Point of Meeting." And it talks about a, a home and trade show where they're talking about all the new home goods that are coming out. You know, common kitchen household items. And then the article goes on to mention something that DuPont has just came out with called Silverstone. It was created by DuPont as a plastic coating, much like Teflon. It helps prevent the food that you are cooking from sticking. What makes Silverstone different from Teflon is that it's smoother and will not scratch or peel or chip. It's like three coatings of this plastic layer that they spray on. It's still used today. It's pretty popular. But this is when it was announced in the newspaper. Big breaking news. DuPont. Putting more chemicals on your food. I was just going to say. That's what I got for a hot product. And it's technically, I guess it is really hot. It's a pan. You heat it up on a stove. So yeah. that's what I got. Man crush. <laughs> 
What do you got for hot products? All right, so let's go to uh, July 8th of 1996, and it's the 90s after all. You had AOL, the information superhighway. They're all starting to take off. Everything's getting really big. It's 1996. And I found an article that was discussing a website called newspage.com. And uh, don't bother trying to go there for your news. Looking back at archive.org, it looks like the website might have only lasted a few years before it was bought out by office.com around 2000, which is odd, too, because now office.com is owned by Microsoft, of course, and they use it for everything. So it's weird how those domains just shifted. But what they did in 1996 was something that we're very familiar with today. You'd go to newspage.com, you'd sign up for an account, and you'd select topics that would interest you. They offered more than 20,000 different news stories per day. So based on your interests, you can get those news stories delivered directly to what they call, quote unquote, your electronic mailbox, which is funny. That's 1996 speak for email. <laughs> and uh, you can get that done every day for $6.95 a month which equates to about $12 in 2020. So it's not terrible. And after they popped up, then you also had like Pointcast, InfoSeek, Freeloader. And then all, of course, all the search engines took the news over. Now, why is this so bad? It depends on how you're looking at it. And yes, it gave us lightning fast news, but it also created the media frenzy that we have today. Because these online news sites, they single-handedly killed the newspaper. I mean, Mark, I think you'd agree here. You just talked about newspapers.com and you spend as much time there as I do. Comparing the news in those newspapers with today, real journalism is dead. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah. it's dead. And that's something we come across all the time on this show. And that's why we use newspapers.com and go to physical newspapers. Because these are real people writing these stories. These are your neighbors, your friends. This is local journalism. Yep. So it's credible sources. And what we have now, it's like it's just a race to see who can get things out first. There's no fact checking. It's just for clickbait. And it's, it's just a race to see who can get it online. And these websites that I just named, this is the beginning of the end of the newspaper. And that's mm. why I have that for my hot product, my worst hot product of July nice. 8th, 1996. Okay. You're my 80s guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe Finley, over to you for the hot products round. All right. Well, I want to talk about Tonka. Uh, we all remember the GoBots. We loved the GoBots. Not as much as we love Transformers, but we loved the GoBots. They were great because they were cheaper. But. <laughs> <laughs> and they barely transform. <laughs> they barely transform. But I'm going to take you even one step further because in 1986, a film came out called GoBots Battle of the Rock Lords. And a couple of months later, a toy line came out, which was a spinoff to the GoBots line. And it was the GoBots Rock Lords. And these special gentlemen. These robots, they didn't turn into vehicles or weapons. They turned into rocks. Yeah, they did. That's it. You could buy vehicles for these guys to drive into because, once again, they turned into rocks. They could not get around on their own. They turned into things. The good guys turned into things like tungsten and gold. And the bad guys turned into quartz and slate. Didn't seem like there was a whole lot of rhyme or reason behind uh, behind who was what. And there were uh, three series of this line actually were released. But it never did anything to bolster uh, GoBot's battle against Transformers or... Or anything, anything whatsoever. They thought they were uh, going to have a a real hot product coming off of the movie. They even released it 
after the movie had come out. And I think maybe that's what hurt it the most, because when you release something in the line with the movie, you can hype it and you can get people to buy toys before the mo- they've even seen the movie. This time around, people saw the movie, went, eh, <laughs> and then saw tr- and then saw robots that turn into rocks. And you're like, eh. and so it's like a pet rock that barely worked, essentially, is what we're getting. <laughs> uh from this guy but but yeah it still happened to last from the summer of 1986 through 1987 had three series uh 20 something figures all of them turned to rocks guys rocks they were going they were going incognito man what's the best way to hide your key outside your house like people get the fake rock yeah i know and i'm gonna rob all of you because (laughs) (laughs) joe you know this is a worst of episode right yeah rock lords were amazing i owned rock lords i had the quartz one it was like he kind of transformed into a rock he just went a little mirror ball (laughs) Mm -hmm. it was amazing rock lords the power of igneous rocks Megamorphic, right? I'm gonna crush you. I, I received one as a gift from a family member, and it was the first time I actually thought, "I'm like, oh my god, they don't love me." <laughs> Did they get you the coal <laughs> one? Yeah, it was. You know, it, it just turned into this grayish blue rock. I don't remember which one it was. It just kind of folded up into a rock, and I'm like, now what? And I'm like, I guess turn him back into a robot so he could be of some use to me. It's like, oh, somebody's coming. Rock again. I'm like, wow, <laughs> what a what a life. Um, but that is what I've got is the GoBot spinoff that did not go, bots. You know, I really <laughs> like the game. <laughs> I want to stay here forever. Okay. <laughs> um. Can I okay? Can I be the judge? Can I yeah, judge it? Yeah, you, you are the judge. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I am the judge. All right, here comes the judge. Okay, so here we go. Bachelor number one, <laughs> Mark. Your product is is not the worst, but it is the most boring. So I'm sorry to say, it is the most boring. So I can't even give it the worst. It's missing that je ne sais Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, clan. Where is it? You you had it going, but now it is gone. Um, oh, Nick, it's got to be your time sometime, but not this time. Um, and why is it? Because I really, um, I love the fact that yes, it's destroyed the papers, but I but I do like my news that I can get at in an instant. Um, but I do think it is horrible that it's a it's like a real problem. Like, so it's the worst, but it's not a funny worst. It's just worst as in, this is really sad. Yeah. Don't you, you know? find, especially now with news, I mean, this is how I am I, with it. It's I almost do. like I mean, a game. I like paper articles and I like, and I never know what news is true or not. Yeah, it's that's what I'm saying. Like, it's almost a well, job. Yeah, like what you said, like, uh, it's, um, you guys were talking about, it's make-believe news. It's, um, it's a race. It's clickbait. Clickbait. That's clickbait. Yeah. yeah. And and also so many times I'm looking at whose news it is and I go, this is a company that's been made up by somebody. It's made up. The title of it's made up. Um, and it's because that the person that supposed newspaper is run by it looks maybe independent, but it's not independent. You know right. what I mean? It's like right. a title that's like, you know, uh, the daily blah, blah, blah. But it's just <laughs> not. You know, it's all make believe. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yours is too real and serious, so I can't get it. <laughs> Damn. So the winner is Bachelor number three. You won my heart with the toy. <laughs> and um, I, use a big, I was a big Bionicle collector for my son. Because uh-huh. I love, we love Bionicles. I have every single Bionicle and Bionicle card 
that exists. So I understand the collecting of the little figurines and I understand the frustration of a toy that doesn't deliver. And I love the fact that they were rocks though, because again, that would make me laugh. So <laughs> it is the worst, but it makes me smile. So I'm going to go for number three. I mean, yeah, number yeah. three. Yeah, point. All right, Joe, you pick up a point, and more importantly, you take control of the board. What category are we going to go with next? Oh, I was actually afraid of taking control of the board because I'm torn. Uh, I think I'm going to lean towards the category of music. All right. All right. And on July 6, 1986, I know a lot of the stuff is kind of happening all on the same day for me is like I, I did do like real research. I didn't just type in one day and then just like <laughs> settle on it. Um, but I want to take you to somebody who this is their fifth studio album, but only the third of their albums that was released worldwide. Uh, the band had been through uh, a couple of different iterations during their lifetime, and they had one their first worldwide release was a big smash. Their second one, a little bit less so. This one being their third. I want to talk about QR3 by Quiet Riot, or Quiet Riot 3 as well. Uh, so the album of the of the three of the worldwide release albums, it was the only one that failed to go platinum. It sold less than 10% of the number of, of copies uh, of Metal Health, which was their first worldwide release and their biggest album. A review whose headline was, at least there's no Slade cover here, went on to say, with QR3, it's safe to say that Quiet Riot tried way too hard to try and get their fans back. They sacrificed much of their original style that they were known for in favor of trying to sound trendy. It seemed that they have made another error in their career, thinking that the only way to please people was to make their album as slick as possible, which obviously didn't work. They did add a lot of synthesizers and stuff to this album, something that didn't exist in their previous works. It failed to chart in most countries it did chart in the u.s because they they had some you know they had they had some goodwill uh that got it but it only topped out at number 31 on and it did not last for very long the only other chart uh that it made in any of the countries in the world was sweden where it topped out at 29 none of the singles from the album charted anywhere and with nine more album releases after this they never charted again they no matter what iteration they went through, they brought back their lead singer, they brought back different members, they replaced different members, all this different stuff. But this was uh even to the critics, this was the beginning of the end for a quiet riot. And as many albums as they went, and as many times they were able to get back together, they never got back what they had with metal health. Yeah, so that's what I've got. Quiet Riots QR3. All right, so for my music selection, you know, I went to over to Billboard, and I took a look at all the new singles that got released for my week, and there was one song that charted on the Billboard charts as a single for one week only at position number 80 on the Billboard charts. It's a song by the band The Tubes. You guys all know The Tubes. Yeah. They had that great song in the 80s yeah. that everyone remembers called She's, She's a, a Beauty. beauty. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is not it. It was called We Wish We Were Devo. <laughs> this is off their second album from 1976. And let me give you the chorus to this song. I'm not going to sing it. I'll just read you the No, you have to sing it. Yeah, come on. Words. yeah not so much on the singing. <laughs> the smell of burning leather as we hold each other tight, as our rivets rub together, flashing sparks into the night. At this moment of surrendering, darling, if you really care, don't touch me there. 
That's baby making music. I'm talking about the song Don't Touch Me There by the Tubes. <laughs> I thought you were reading Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> it charted for one week on the on the Billboard charts at number 80. Now, the interesting thing about this is, you know, I've read you the lyrics. You have no clue what the song sounds like. Maybe she, maybe he did not want her to touch his testicles. No. Testicles. <laughs> his tentacles. <laughs> tentacles. Okay. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> you probably think, oh, this is going to be like a, a rock and song, pretty heavy because of the subject matter. Well, actually, the song is arranged in the classic Wall of Sound style by Jack Nietzsche, who was the right-hand man of Phil Spector. So it has that 60s Wall of Sound feel to it. <laughs> the song is an absolute riot. Now, a couple of weird links to this song that I never knew about. The keyboard player from this band, The Tubes, was Vince Welnick, who years later went on to play keyboards for The Grateful Dead. And then also, the gentleman who sings this song, Don't Touch Me There, if the song's a duet. Well, the gentleman is actually Fee Waybill. I'm getting blank faces. Fee Waybill was in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Remember, like, the three wise people? You had Clarence Clemens. He was the other guy. The, the, the white guy way down on the end. That was Fee Waybill. He was the lead singer from the Tubes. <laughs> who in 1976 gave us Don't Touch Me There. The song is an absolute horrid gem. I highly recommend you go check it out. You'll crack up, man. It's great. Don't touch me there. So Wild Stallions had to save the world after the tubes failed? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then became nice. an extra. Done. That's what I have for the worst of music. Man Crush, over to you. All right. So let's go uh, July 9th, 1996. And just like Joe said, it's something that happens that's sad where a band is big and then they just, nobody cares anymore. There just comes a day where their albums just, they're not popular. And I'm not sure why that happens, but it does. It's almost like an NFL running back that's been amazing for years. And then he hits 30 years old and teams avoid him like the plague. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what it feels like. But in any event, my pick kind of the same deal. Wait, wait, wait. Is that something like um, when there are two princesses in a movie and then the next time they have the princesses, they have younger princesses? And yes. Then, then the one, they have younger. Oh, oh, yeah. Ne never mind. I don't know why I even thought that. It, <laughs> yeah, it's basically, it's basically it's like the same thing. I mean, they got too old. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Maybe that's the reason with this one, because this band that I have, this is their 14th studio album. And it's their first album in six years. Of course, it's 1996. Their first album was released in 1971. So they've been around for a long time, but it's also been a long time removed since their 10 times platinum album from 1980, High Fidelity, came out, which is probably their most beloved. All right. This album called Building the Bridge. It's the band's first non-charting album since 1972. That's 24 years and 12 other albums. Okay, this is where it gets interesting, though, because the album must be an absolute embarrassment. Because if you go on their Spotify or their iTunes, their entire discography is there, except Building the Bridge skips right over this. Wow. Okay, so I wanted to listen to it before I bashed it, and I wasn't even able to. That's how bad it was. It's not even around. <laughs> Since I couldn't listen to it myself, I had to find a decent review. So I go to this one website called allmusic.com a lot of times to get these reviews. And this is what it says about this album. 
By the release of 1996's Building the Bridge, singer Kevin Cronin was the undisputed leader of REO Speedwagon and one of the band's few original members that was still present. Longtime fans considered Bridge as a more Cronin solo album than a real REO release. And this may be true, especially since there's little of the band's early rock direction left in the mix. That all evaporated when their guitarist Gary Richrath departed. And more of the soft rock that Cronin is known for, they gave it a two and a half out of five stars. And typically on a site like this, I'd go and I'd find like a user review or a listener review, just a normal person. None. Zero reviews of this album from anybody. So there you have it. It's the mysterious Building the Bridge by REO Speedwagon that nobody's reviewed. It's not on their Spotify. It's not on their iTunes. So if you don't own it, tough shit. You're not going to be able to listen to it. Is there a chance you're making this up? No. I mean, I, I, that, dude, when I looked at it, I was like, hmm, it's not on Spotify. So my wife has iTunes music. So when iTunes music, it's not there either. I'm like. What the shit? It's just gone. They must have been like, no, erase that. Throw that away with Mark's Disney pick. Just sweep it under the rug. If Ario Speedwagon releases an album in the woods, does it still really exist? <laughs> and they still tour today. I mean, they were supposed to be up uh, in Bethel, I think, this summer. But uh, obviously, yeah. that's not happening. But yeah, that's my pick for this round, 1996. All right, let's go down to our judge, Diane Franklin, for the ruling on the music round. Okay, it's the music round. And um, as usual, I will start with uh, my bachelor's. Um, my bachelor number um, one, and that was um, Joe. Was Joe first? Yep. Joe, um, I, even the Quiet Riot uh, didn't pull through. Um, I still love the 80s, so in short form, I'm going to have to pass on it being the worst because the 80s rock. And so um, maybe they're just having some off time and go Quiet Riot and, you know, like, <laughs> just have to. I'm going to give that a pass. So okay. sorry, but it's not the worst. <laughs> I accept that. <laughs> um, bachelor number two. So good story about the Bill and Ted uh, guy, um, uh, Feeway, what is it, Feeway? Feeway Bill. Feeway Bill. Um, really good story. Again, also, I have a, I guess I have an affinity to Bill and Ted, so I really don't want it to be the worst because I really <laughs> like the fact that he was in the movie, regardless of the fact that the music was not uh, happening. So I'm going to have to pass on that. She's not touching you there, Mark. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not the worst. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he's not touching me. Um, so the winner is finally Nick. Uh, yes, you know, real uh, RF Speedwagon. Wow. You know, they've been through a lot. And uh, here's, I have to say that a lot of times what I find amazing is you can love a band, but a band is like a marriage, okay? These people are married. They really are. And when they break up, the music will be different. Yep. And it may suffer. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the marriage parts and they start, you know, dating and they're like hanging out and they find the right chemistry. But uh, if it was bad, then... Um, it makes sense that the guy came out with his kind of own style and everybody went, what? No. And maybe it was good for him, but the fans were like, you know, you're not the, it's not what we 
came to you for. So you, uh, so it is the worst, I'd have to say. <laughs> we wouldn't know because nobody can listen to it unless you. Yeah. So <laughs> I was. Yeah, and, and, no one can, and you can't find it either. So that's pretty bad, too. Oh, sorry. I was checking Amazon Music to see if maybe it popped up there and I couldn't find it there. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, <laughs> All right, Man Crush, you pick up a point and that ties the game at one apiece. But we're heading into our first two point rounds. What category are we going to go with? Uh, let's go with news. I want to see what news you guys are bringing to the table because Joe always brings like a homicide or a genocide <laughs> or something like that. I bring important news. I brought you yeah. Chernobyl. I brought you. <laughs> yeah. So since I knew Joe was going to go really dark, I'm going really light with some just the worst of news of this week. Uh, July 3rd, 1996. And this is uh, America's tabloid king of the early 90s. He's on the move. The New Jersey bad boy Joey Buttafuoco is uh, packing up his bags. He's headed to Los Angeles with his family. And why, do you ask? Let me tell you why. It's in a little article from the Miami Herald. And the title of this article is California, Here They Come. The movies are calling Joey Buttafuoco. <laughs> here you go. Here's the article. <laughs> the Buttafuoco family is moving west so Joey can concentrate on his acting career, Buttafuoco said yesterday. We're well accepted out in California, Buttafuoco said. They have a different attitude there. They can see through all this crap. Not the image that's built up by the media. Buttafuoco said that the media in New York area has portrayed him as a mean guy. An image that is just not true. I'm not a bad guy, Buttafuoco said. I'm just a regular kind of guy. Buttafuoco 40 gained fame when Amy Fisher, his then underage lover, shot his wife, Mary Jo, in the head in May 1992. Normal guy stuff. Fisher... <laughs> is serving five to five to 15 years in prison. Uh, Buttafuoco served four months in jail after pleading guilty to the illegal liaison with Fisher and was given five years probation, which is crazy that that's what happened in 1992, because if that happened now, he'd be going away for a lot longer than four months. Illegal liaison. Illegal wow. liaison. If that doesn't sound like an old Skinamax movie, yeah. I don't know what does. <laughs> Well, hold on. All right. Some more regular, more regular guy stuff. Last year, he went back to jail for violating that probation by soliciting sex from an undercover cop in Hollywood. And he's going back to California. Well, I wonder why. Uh, Buttafuoco said that his family hopes to buy a home in Santa Monica. Uh, he said California will be a better place to raise his children. And another reason for the movie said is that Fisher is up for parole next year and his wife is still afraid of her. Mary Jo is afraid if Amy Fisher is released. She may come after her again. I wonder why she would think that since she shot her in the fucking head. Uh, but we have Buttafuoco <laughs> said he has three movie projects in the works. The first to begin shooting in about six months is the underground comedy. That's the name of the movie with Anna Nicole Smith. So, you know, it's good. Buttafuoco <laughs> said he's slated to play a mafia type heavy uh, in the <laughs> second. He's supposed to play a bouncer. And the third is a horror film called Don't Open My Grave, in which he says he has a major part. And I looked at his IMDb, and he was never in that. Uh, and <laughs> he was in the underground comedy. He's got nine credits to his name. He was actually in an episode of Perversions of Science, if you can believe that. Uh, he was Frankie wow. Corelli. Uh, that's probably the biggest thing he had. Uh, he was in Better Than Ever, played Ralph. And then he was in the underground comedy movie, played Sonny. Uh, Finding Forrester, he was Nightman. 
I don't know, is that a guy walking out at night? He was on an episode of Son of the Beach. Uh, he was a trophy. He was a, he was in Mafia Movie Madness, and he played Guy. So I don't know if that means Guy, like any guy. I don't know. Right, a guy. Maybe he was a French mobster, and he was Guy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Doesn't really look like it panned out for him too much, but that's my worst of news for the week of uh, the first week of July of 1996, July 3rd more specifically, but that's what we have. I'd still trade with him. <laughs> he gets to be in movies. I didn't get to be in movies. Did he? <laughs> All right. So for my worst news story, we're going to go to July 4th, 1976. Of course, this is the bicentennial week. America is going nuts with all these awesome celebrations. And, you know, we want a way to commemorate our bicentennial. And what better way to show America's prowess than to land a spacecraft on Mars for the very first time as a country? So on July 4th, we sent Viking 1. It was on its way. July 4th, 1976, it was going to land on Mars. Just an amazing achievement for our country. So we go to the San Francisco Examiner in an article that reads, No, July 4th touchdown. The Viking space program designed to land a spacecraft on the surface of Mars in search for signs of life has encountered difficulties from the very start. Viking 1's launch was twice postponed because Viking 1's primary landing area called A-1, showed up to be more hazardous than previously expected. They actually had to move the landing two weeks in advance. So the first moon landing didn't happen until the 20th of July. So we had all built up all of our expectations. Fourth of July, man, it's our bicentennial. It's going to be rocking. We're going to land on Mars. No, it was a total fail and a letdown. All we got was Ed McMahon on a float. It was horrible. You know, you got a bunch of parades. What's wrong with that? Did he have a big check with him? No, he could have. It would have made it better. But that's what I got for news. The failed Mars landing on 4th of July. It's a tough one. But they did end up going to Mars. They did. It wasn't all bad. It was already up there. They just couldn't do the landing on 4th of July. They had to wait a couple of weeks. So It's no Buttafuoco goes to California. I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right, let's toss it over to Joe Finley for the news round. All right, and I will apologize for uh, being so sweaty first off because I have a man crush on man crush and his facial hair situation he's got going on today. You guys can't see it, but holy shit, it's doing it for me. It's doing it. <laughs> I don't know if, if you kept up, but yeah, like during, during the pandemic, I didn't shave <laughs> for three months. And oh, I, had, I, I don't grow hair here or here, and I had these huge patches. It's kind of like... Uh, I don't know if you ever seen Keanu Reeves' patchy, shitty-looking yeah. beard. It wasn't even close to that. It was worse. You got definitely some awesome uh, facial hair there. You definitely yeah. do. Now I see because the mic was kind of in your way. So now, whoa. I left that part. I left it's this. It's gorgeous. But this is you look gone. like your own evil twin. It's wonderful. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks like I'm in a dungeon. Well, that's like a couple of weeks ago, I, I told him he looks like a villain from an Errol Flynn movie. <laughs> Come and swashbuckle with me. Hey. All right. So let's kick it down to Joe Finley for the news round. All right. And actually, this is, uh, of all the bad news I have delivered, this is definitely not the worst news I have delivered as far as body counts and stuff like that. But it does cover a pretty spectacular failure. On July 6th, 1986, we did it again, folks. 
three of my categories, July 6th. Um, 490 armed soldiers in the Philippines, along with 15,000 civilians loyal to former President Ferdinand Marcos, occupied the Manila Hotel, uh, take, essentially uh, establishing a coup of the country. Uh uh, Ferdinand Marcos, uh, vice presidential running mate Arturo Tolentino, announced to the press that he had been given pr uh, permission from Marcos to take over and reestablish the government and reestablish a cabinet. Uh, the problem with that? Nobody cared. Nobody reacted. Life went on. The military didn't even react to this. They didn't take. They didn't come to their side as was expected, uh, and. After 37 hours, everybody just quietly left. <laughs> because they were pelted to death by Imelda Marcos's shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. It was a it was a nonviolent coup. It ended in peace and it ended with a thud. Nothing occurred. So no bloodshed, wow. no violence, but a whole I know, right? Joe, did you keep digging to look for blood? Because this is oh, not I you. <laughs> I did. I looked up news and I found three things and two of them were kind of nice. And I was like, no, I was like, I was like, at least I found one where it was a failure. But uh, so, yeah, so it started on July 6th. It ended late in the night going into July 8th. And it was just a whole lot of nothing, which isn't something you really hear about when you're hearing about a coup. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so, so that's what I've got is the, uh, horrible failure like i feel like i would have performed a coup is equally as well it's like they couldn't even bother to have a coup yeah <laughs> it's like eh. you know like when your kid's having a tantrum in the store and you just walk away from that's what happened <laughs> to a country <laughs> oh, God. all right let's throw it down to, to diane franklin for the ruling for the news round why this is so hard okay oh the quiet coup or uh, or gosh, the failed Mars or the, okay, um, Badafuga. Okay. Oh, I'm going to have to say, but okay. Bachelor number three, Joe. Yeah. It was a good try with the coup. A failed coup. It is wasn't very a good try. was the problem. <laughs> bad. You know, I mean, it's, it's good, bad, like, okay, good. No, it's actually not good, bad. It's just bad. Um, but it doesn't make me feel anything. I feel I feel like, okay, I feel bad for the people and uh, I hope, I'm glad nobody got hurt. But uh, I, I have to say that it's not like the, it's like the worst doesn't hit me. Like, oh, that's the worst, right? Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just it's not great. This is great. In the 80s, most of the things were upbeat. So that's probably, <laughs> I don't know. It just doesn't move me. All right, sorry. <laughs> we're going to, that's number two is going to be Mark. Mark, you know what? I, I love the traveling to Mars and I got my hopes up and it was really exciting and great. But again, also what didn't happen, you know what I mean? It just didn't, something didn't happen. And so that, again, I feel like it was a lack of excitement to make it the worst. Right. So I'm sorry. Number two, that's just like, it's not going to be the worst enough. But what is the worst is for Joey Buttafuoco to actually consider coming to California. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst. Like, if he comes to California, I mean, what are people in here going to do? Like, he's going to live in Santa Monica and his kids are going to go to school here. And he thinks it's going to be all good and okay. But I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I don't know. This is just sounds like it's a, the worst idea. 
<laughs> is your initial reaction at that? You read something like that and he's like, oh my God, he's going to think we're peers. <laughs> <laughs> he's got his SAG card. <laughs> what? He's going to get his SAG card and everything. Um, it's just, it's the vision of people that are back east to California thinking that it's, I mean, it is very different in California to New York. I'm from New York, uh, Long Island, so I, I, it is very different. But it's just, it's a different vibe. And the intensity back east is, you got to chill here a little bit more. I don't know. It's just got to be uh, where. But I'll, I'll, I will say this. He, in a way, I mean, I'll tell you one thing. If you're from New York and you come to California, you're going to do really well because the people from back east are go-getters and they make things happen wherever they go. Like you're self-starter, you know how to make things happen. So when you come to California, you can get thing, make things happen. You can get movie deals. You can make things happen because you're self-motivated. Uh, whereas, you know, if you're maybe from another place that's not self-motivated, it's not going to be, it's not going to happen. It's not going to fall in your lap. You're not going to get discovered. You know what I mean? It's not going to happen that way. You have to, you have to be a go-getter. So, you know, Joey, Joey's, he's a go-getter. He's just <laughs> to I, solicit <laughs> prostitutes. He he, yeah. he he went and got her. Yeah. And the shooting, I you know I don't I don't think it's going to be as peaceful. And I, I do have to ask. I was curious. Did the girlfriend get out of jail? And what happened? She did get out of jail, and she was in. Didn't she have a porn that came out like ten years ago or so? Mm -hmm. Like so she got into the business. <laughs> and she worked. Yeah. She got married to like. I think it was, I don't know if the guy was, I think he was wealthy. I think she got married to a wealthy guy. Huh. And then if it was like one of them leaked porn tapes where, yeah. you know, it wasn't really leaked, but yeah. you know, and it got out there. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's her claim to fame now, which is probably still more than him. Man crush got the two points. I have to nice. say. Wow. Yeah. I think she also celebrity boxed Tanya Harding. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we should get that on again. All right, Man Crush, you take the lead into this one. Three to one to one. And we're heading into the final round. All right. So the worst that can happen is I go to another tiebreaker and lose. Uh, but let's see what happens <laughs> with the TV round here. All right. So let's go okay. July 3rd, 1996. And this pick, it's a little bit different than one of my normal television selections. But I felt like it was topical. And the whole incident stemmed from the famous game show, The Price is Right. So... On October 27th, 1995, uh, Price is Right model Holly Hallstrom. Uh, she appeared on her final episode of the game show. And Holly had been one of the, you know, those beautiful models that he has on uh, Price is Right. She had been one of those all the way back to 1977. She was one of the longest tenured models ever on the Price is Right. And that show has been on for or forever. And I'm sure if you were ever homesick from school, I guarantee if you were watching The Price is Right, which we all did when we were homesick from school, you'd recognize her. She was a staple of the show. But that was her last episode, and she was fired by Bob Barker for being, quote-unquote, overweight. But this, there's more to the story. Wait, was she the one who would go like this? Like yeah, she, <laughs> yeah, she was like, yeah, like one of those. Yeah. And she actually had a couple different occasions where things happened on the show, why people really loved her, because she was kind of clumsy. Like, uh, I remember one, she was dancing with a mannequin and it had pants on and the pants fell down and she was dancing with this pantsless mannequin. <laughs> There's another great. one with like, uh, oh, she almost, she almost had a refrigerator fall on her. Actually, no, I think it did hit her and she got injured from this. Like all kinds of weird shit happened to her. But anyhow, Whoa. this, this is bizarre. So 
once the fans of the show, they learned of her dismissal, they bombarded Bob Barker with angry letters as to why he fired her, since she was probably the most popular model at the time. And good old Bob, he never answered those letters, but Holly did. Because on July 3rd, she filed a lawsuit against Bob Barker for age, weight, medical discrimination, wrongful termination, and malicious persecution or prosecution. As the story goes, Bob Barker was going through a sexual harassment suit at the time, and he had asked Holly to testify on his behalf and perjure what she actually knew. And since she didn't want to testify after he fired her for this, Bob retaliated by suing her for libel and slander over saying that she was fired for being overweight. Well, that suit was thrown out and she actually won that suit. She was the prevailing party and he had to end up paying for her lawyer. So after that whole thing happened, she took out this case against him for the wrongful firing. All right. So anyways, Holly's case against Bob Barker, it lasted for 10 years in the process of doing so. Cause you got to think this is just a model on a show going against Bob Barker and CBS. She basically bankrupted herself paying for legal expenses. Matter of fact, she even ended up living out of her car for a while. And I quote Holly Hallstrom. She says, I refuse to give up and let that old evil bastard win. Well, in October of 2005, Holly ended up winning a multi-million dollar settlement. And she used some of that money to set up like various foundations to help out those who don't have the resources to battle like malicious workplace lawsuits. So we have uh, Holly Hallstrom. She wins her wrongful termination suit and uh, Barker's a dick. So that's my, uh, my TV for this round. Wow. And I think it's funny because like, this is like mid nineties stuff and you don't like who talks about this ever. Like you never see his name come up in this shit, but it happened quite a bit. Like I started digging and I was like, wow, this guy was an asshole. So there's the the first of it. Well, no, maybe not the first, but it's a story that it it's lasted for a while. Yeah. yeah. Good, good, good story. Hmm. Hmm. All right. So for my television offerings, you know, we're going to go back to 1976. And we had all this great bicentennial coverage on TV all week. Of course, we're in the summer, so we're getting reruns. We're not getting a lot of original programming. But you had all the fireworks displays all the commemorative things going on. So I looked through all of those, and I I found something that I, well, I think it's the worst. (laughs) So Kenosha News. Kenosha, Wisconsin, July 3rd, 1976. We have an article here talking about a television program that's going to be on PBS called Goodbye America. Goodbye America is a 90-minute dramatization of the final parliamentary debate on the issue of America before its Declaration of Independence. Produced by WNET New York and the BBC, it'll be on TBS Saturday, 8 p.m. on Channel 10. Now what it is, is Goodbye America presents the parliamentary debate as if it was covered as an actual contemporary live news debate. So what we're talking about here is actors and people getting together to recreate a British parliamentary debate from 1776 while PBS news people cover it like it's a modern-day event. That's how I want to celebrate my bicentennial. 
Wow. So Goodbye America presents the debate as it was covered through contemporary live news events. And it actually presents both sides of the argument, from the British side and the American side. Oddly enough, it brings up the fact that a lot of British people were not against America getting its independence. It was actually pretty divided. And many American school children grew up to believe that George III was an ogre. <laughs> so they take both sides of the argument. So that's what it is. Wow. Goodbye, America, on PBS, celebrating our bicentennial. So that's my offering for television. Joe Finley, over to you, good sir. All right. Well, summertime is time for some fun sports, and we're going to take you to the baseball diamond, and we're going to take you to a young man, a 23-year-old Roger Clemens, who was on track to tie the AL record for most wins to start a season at 15-0. and He was 14-0, and and he was facing off against the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> uh, anyways, the... Uh... Just so everybody knows, that was only Joe that was cheering for that. <laughs> No, see, I learned something from being with Michael Winslow. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I love this. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> so Clemens is sitting there at 14 and 0. He's on track to, to get this record, throws six very strong innings. He's uh, they're up two to one. Uh, a couple of small mistakes end up getting the uh, score tied, and they pull him, presumably to protect his undefeated record so he could go and try again the next day. He is replaced by backup Bob Stanley, who makes a bunch of errors in the same inning, and those errors cost uh, caused runs that were then charged to Roger Clemens, and it cost him the game, giving him his first loss of the season and costing him the record. Oh, for no. the year. So what I give you is a, ma a young man about to set a gigantic record originally set in the 50s and it being taken away, not by his own fault, but by the fault of his relief pitcher. So Roger Clemens losing the AL, the AL record because somebody else screwed up is my TV for 1986. And that was July 2nd. You knew who else gave him a loss that year? The New York Mets. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bill Buckner. I like the mess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's see what else she likes. Let's go down to our celebrity guest judge, Diane Franklin. Uh, so wait, is this the one that's going to break everything? Is this the win or lose? We'll see. Yeah, good. Uh. <laughs> Man Crush is in the lead right now with three points to my one and Joe's one point. All right. Here we go. So, um... Bachelor number three, Joe. This is baseball very nice. I love the baseball. And the, the Brooklyn Dodgers, I love them. <laughs> they are fantastic. So you can see how much I know about baseball. It's got a hell of an arm, though. Right, yeah. Thank you very much. Um, you know, I feel for Roger Clemens, I think it's not, I think it's, I feel for him, you know. that That is just bad. Um, it's bad. And it's, and, but you know, he could, I don't know. It's just not the worst. You know, I feel like he's still alive. And I, is he still alive? Maybe yeah, he's, he's still alive. Not in the Hall of Fame, but he's, he's still alive. I feel for him. And let's let's just say that everybody who is, who is a fan of his is, is sad because they wanted him to do it. So yeah. people were trying to support him. So what if I lie and say he died the next day? Yeah. Okay. Well, then <laughs> Okay, there you go. So the end. because you're alive, Roger Clemens, I'm sorry, but number three is not going to win now. Yeah, I love baseball, but not, it's not going to happen. Cheers. 
All right. Sorry, sir. I love you. You're wonderful. <laughs> uh, now we get down to the last two here. Um, wow. There's some good, bad stuff. This is a hard one for me. Um, okay. No. Okay. I know what to do. All right. <laughs> um, so number bachelor number two, here's the deal with you. Goodbye America. Yes. That sounds like the worst, the BBC doing that acting in the, then, I mean, they didn't do the acting, but the actors did acting in the BBC, like the American actors were interviewed. Right. That does sound like the worst, but you're not going to win. <laughs> based on me, you're not going to win, but it is the worst. It's like so boring and I could just cry. That's so boring. <laughs> <laughs> That's the second time in a month that the BBC has been trashed on this show. <laughs> it's just a combination of the wordiness and then the acting and then, and like and it's the Fourth of July. People want to uh, eat hot dogs and hamburgers and hang out and and just like drink beer. And exactly. You don't want to sit and watch a British parliamentary debate from 1776. <laughs> you don't want to think too much. They need that break in the head to have a little break. You know. Yeah. Anyway, that's my personal thought okay so the winner of this round is number one nick no number three uh or whatever number three <laughs> whatever um, completely partial and it's because my son's name is nick <laughs> so you win nice. two points <laughs> um i do happen to like the the holly hullstrom story and uh it's crazy that woman lived in her car and then had to like you know yeah and try to do it and good for her for hanging in there but you know those are years of her life is it like 10 yeah. years of her life 10 years that drawn like you know this this woman i mean not to say there's nothing fair you know the world isn't fair but the fact that um you know she she stood up for what was right for her and thank goodness she won and she started this foundation but i would have to say it's just the worst in the sense of it's just not it's just not cool. Can we just, you know, just, can we just treat people yeah. like people and not right. have the sense? You know what I mean? If you want to date somebody, go ask them out on a date, you know, have your own stuff with them, but don't bring it into your work thing. That's when it's getting weird. You can't do it. Don't, you know? Anyway, it's easier said than done probably. But so yeah. Nick, you just win because I say so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. That actually turned into a pretty good landslide after a good uh, yeah shit five weeks. Five weeks. Well deserved. Good for you, Diane. Uh, we have a couple questions from our listeners. Are you game to answer a few? Yeah, that's really not. Are they calling in or is it just prior? To they just they write. Yeah, they write them into us. Great. Uh, all right. Let's see. All right. So this actually kind of piggybacks on you said before what the worst movie you had. Mm-hmm. Thomas Combs, uh, excellent listener of ours, uh, he said, which role do you consider your best role? Okay. That's so probably like picking like your favorite child or something. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, you just don't do that. You yeah. just like do a Sophie's choice and just kill yourself. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for spoiling that movie for me. Great. And she didn't kill herself. Okay. Ha ha. Um, no, anyway. <laughs> okay. So here's the deal. The movie that I think I did the best in was actually the movie that's out now called Amityville Murders, which is a movie that I play the mom, Louise DeFeo. And I think it's my best performance as an actress to me, like my best work, but that's for me. But then 
the movie that I love the most is Better Off Dead because I love the role model and I love the character and that uh, Monique is the closest to who I am. So I love that movie. And in fact, I'm writing a book about it right now, which should be done by Christmas, hopefully before <laughs> Christmas. So um, I just adore, I just love the movie and I got interviews from everybody in the film and um, not everybody, but a, a lot of people. It's gonna be a great book. It's an awesome book. So um, people are interested, just find me on social media and just stay in touch because it's gonna all kind of be word of mouth when it comes out. And, um, but then I have a soft spot for Last American Virgin because that was my first film that character is so unlike me in a lot of ways. It, it brings out a lot of me, but then it, it, I would never have done what Karen did in the movie. Can I just say, it is no wonder that Karen is now the name. <laughs> <laughs> it's based on you. What? You know, didn't people learn that women with Karen in their name, like, let's just think twice. I don't know. So there you go. L well, let me piggyback that one then and... Since you talked about Last American Virgin, of course, this would come from Mike Ranger. <laughs> he said, how did you feel about doing a nude abortion scene? Oh, that was so stupid. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, OK, like I'm reading this script and then they go and she takes off her clothes. And I'm like, wait, she's about to get an abortion. Wait, what? What? Uh, yeah. I mean, that was a very... Um, that was, I mean, I'm saying stupid because it was like just so what is happening out of the ballpark. It was, they didn't surprise me. I knew what was going to happen. Luckily, it wasn't like, okay, this abortion, we're going to have it, you know, you're going to take the clothes off and you're going to be crying and we're going to do it. Get on this metal gurney over here. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it was like, it wasn't like I knew it was going to happen, but at the same time, it was like, is this sexy? Like, I get sexy. Like, I understand, you know, if you have something that's sexual, it's like, you kind of, you know, at, like, hot. Like, I get that. But that's not sexy. That's like... No. It's a very awkward scene. Yeah. Like, just, it's hard to watch. It's not even like you would say, I mean, in a bizarre way, it's, it's exploitive, but in a depressing way. I don't even understand it. So, to me, like, I don't... I feel like if a guy is attracted to me in the movie at the beginning, he's going to be turned off by that. Like, what? Wait, I don't that. That's kind of weird. Right? Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't expect that part. Um, but a good question from him, because, you know, it is bizarre in the movie. I always wondered what guys thought of that. You know what? It's Obviously, it's not a sexy scene. But right. it's, it's one of those ones where it's it's weird. Like, it's one of those scenes where... If you're yeah. if you're watching it, mm -hmm. you don't want somebody to walk in the room while you're watching. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know what you I don't mean? Want to explain it just it. gives you that uncomfortable feeling. Mom's coming. Yeah. You want some popcorn? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. the fuck are you but, watching? You're 12 years old. Get back to bed. Right. <laughs> in, in honor of that movie, though, I got naked for my vasectomy, which was technically millions of abortions. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but did they videotape it? <laughs> well, I did. But <laughs> that's why my YouTube went down. And then he leaked it like that sex tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we got subscribers. Uh, uh, all right. Here's another one we got. It says, uh, has she heard any plans for a Blu-ray release of Second Time Lucky? Oh, that's nice. No. No, I haven't. And I feel like they, I feel like that film has been like, you know, put away in right now like I feel like when we did the special features and the you know the the um 
sec yeah, the special features, when we did that, I feel like that was the end. Because the director, um, Michael Anderson, um, passed away. He was actually a, an Academy Award winning director and he wrote, he did that film. Gotta start somewhere. Again, but but like, here's here he is, like Academy Award nominated for um, Around the World in 80 Days, director. There were just a lot of British actors who were very up, you know, high up, upstanding actors. And then Roger Wilson was in it. We were, you know, I really, there was a lot of hope for the movie, just like the Canon film, but, and you know who's supposed to do it originally? The, and it was originally called The Apple and the Pear, and Bo Derek was supposed to play that part. Wow. My part. <laughs> wow. Bolero. Yeah. Bo Derek. <laughs> I was like, this is a little different. Okay. <laughs> Bo Derek passed on this. Let's give it to Diane Franklin. Did they want you to ride horses naked or anything? No like brainer. That? No, no naked horse. No. <laughs> no braids. No. Yeah. Uh, all right. Here we go. Uh, Eric Cluley, another good listener. He said, uh, who was more fun, John Cusack or Curtis Armstrong? Oh, wow. Well, I love John and he's very sweet, but he's more shy. He was shyer. But John is funny. Like he's just understated funny when we were working. Um, I loved working with John. But Curtis is funnier. I mean, he's just freaking funny. Like Curtis, like you, you just, he does things and you die. Like the jello, snorting the jello. I turned to him and I said, <laughs> I did not expect that. And he killed me. I mean, so Curtis is the actor that does these unexpected things and you, and he's brilliant. Curtis is a brilliant actor. So it's just really fun to work with him. Was that a planned scene with the snorting, the jello thing or was. No. Okay. That's that? the other thing. There were so many things in that film that were not, uh, if, if it's not a dialogue, you know, it wasn't in the script. Like when Curtis has the pig and he starts, you know, hello, doing that kind of thing to the formaldehyde pig that wasn't in the script. When, uh, I walk with the, 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 um, blindfold and I have John walk me in, that wasn't in the script. I told him to do that. So a lot of little things we put in that made it special, but the director was open to it, you know? And that I think is the key is that actors are very creative because actors know their role. You know, you know, we work on our role. We know, everything about our character. So if you allow an actor to improvise a little bit in their, what they do, you're going to get magic because obviously the director uh, doesn't think as deep into it, uh, into the character as the actor. So we right. just let Curtis go. Curtis went, you know, he just went off like the laugh. I think that was improvised where Curtis just couldn't stop laughing. I mean, that was great. You know, <laughs> Um, Does she shave before he gives her a good night? Yeah, like, right? Like, oh my god! I think I think he made that up, line up. I think that that um, uh, Aaron made that up. I think. I mean, just like amazing, amazing. So, yeah. So I would have to say in that respect, I have to say Curtis. That must have been a blast to do that movie. Uh, let's see what we have here. Um, awesome. Okay, this is from Rick Malvey. He said, "Was well, you kind of answered this one, but he said uh, was." John Cusack, easy to work with. Also, yeah. were him and Jeremy Piven close as they seem? I don't know. Since they were, yeah. <laughs> How close I don't know seem? where he's going with that one. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Was he easy to work with? It sounds like yeah. you said yes. He was a joy was, to work uh, with. He was adorable, sweet. We just had a great time. And it was great kissing him, too. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and he took you to Dodger Stadium. And Dodger Stadium. <laughs> Somebody just asked, is it too late to send a question? I said, hurry up. <laughs> well, and by the way, I have some uh, things to tell you when we're done about upcoming things. Right? Yeah, go for it. Shoot them out now while this guy's sending his So here's the thing. Um, so first of all, 
Uh, I have the Amityville Murders on, on, I think, net, it could be Netflix. Some There's Stars. I think it's on Stars. So you can find that now. Really great. I play Louise DeFeo. It's about the real Amityville Murders that actually happened. Um, I have a movie called Wally Got Wasted. That's online right now as well. And that's a cameo, but it's hilarious. Um, it's sort of like Weekend at Bernie's, but with adults, kind of. And um, I have a cameo. And then I have uh, some... Oh, I have a movie called The Final Interview, and it is going to be coming out in a very special, and like a, they're going to put it like a, a special hard metal box, like a real, I think in August, called The Final Interview. That's a thriller, and that hasn't been out a lot, so people are going to be, that's going to be like a, that's like a uh, independent cult movie, and a really cool um, thriller, and it's The Final Interview, it's about a guy who's about to die, and in the electric chair, and my ex-husband is interviewing him and it's just like, it's a shot like a play. I can't even explain it. It's like an art film, but it is incredible. It's awesome. But coming up um, at the end of the year, I think, or the beginning of this year, it's going to be a movie called High, um, High Holiday. And I'm in that as a cameo. And it's with Tom Arnold, Jennifer Tilly, and um, gosh, Cloris Leachman. Oh, wow. Really? And then there is another movie coming out called uh, Waking Nightmare. And when you see me in this role, you're going to flip out. You've never seen me play this character. So that's another movie I'm really excited about. They've been holding off for a while, uh, finishing editing. But I just talked to the director and he sent me a, a piece of it. And he, he, said, he, uh, he just said, you know, you're, you kill this movie. Like you are going to be, it's going it, to make people crazy. It's going to, it's like a, a great acting job. Like something like you've never seen me play before. So that's cool. Wow. Uh, yeah, powerful. And uh, it's called, it's Waking Nightmare because it's about my daughter who is a, who murders people in her sleep. And <laughs> very nice. So it's got that edge to it. So it's cool. And I'm very intricate in part of the story. And Shelly Regner from Pitch Perfect it plays my daughter. Uh, she was one of the Bellas. And then um, Newlander. Um, uh, Jason Newlander? Jason, he, uh, Jameson Newlander. Oh, Jameson Newlander yeah. from uh, my husband. Lost Boys. Yeah. And he's great. He's awesome. And then the other thing is there is there. Okay. There's another movie. I just actually booked, I actually booked a movie yesterday and I have a tiny scene in it, but it is going to be very big. So I don't know when that'll come out. That's a secret, but I just know that something else is coming out and I won't even give the hints of what this, it's like so cool. There's some very cool things about it. So that's going to be a scary movie. Then I did a, uh, also a claymation zombie movie during the pandemic. Uh, and that's hilarious. You're going to hear about that too. And that might be out in October, but I don't know if it, they're going to, how, how they're going to distribute it, but it, that's going to be sort of like a, you know, like the blob. Do you know what I mean? Like movies that are like yeah. that kind of like over the top, like, uh, you know, claymation zombies. And it's going to be really cool. I like that kind of movie. So that's yeah, just a fun popcorn flick. Yes, it, exactly. We need more of those right now. Yeah. And, <laughs> do you, do you have anything with uh, Joey Budafuco coming out? You know, I'm waiting for the call. I'm waiting for the phone to ring. You know, I'm waiting when he wants a wife. Joey, you got it right here. He's not great to his wives. Yeah, you might want to rethink that. That way, and I'll be treated better, okay? I should play I'd love that. That would be cool. I want to play a vampire, and I want to play a mobster. A mobster wife. So A mobster vampire? Yeah, let's just combine it, and you can be a mobster vampire. Right. Wow. Like this. <laughs> You'll never get me out of here. Blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you pasta? I like this. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> 
you mentioned before he he threw his question in there, but um, you mentioned your daughter kills people in her sleep. And three years ago or two years ago, whenever the last time we talked to you, you mentioned your daughter, Olivia. Is she what is she up to these days? <gasps> oh, my gosh. All right. Olivia is amazing. First of all, she has her own show that she writes, directs, acts and edits with a comedy partner called Apocalypse Goals. Apocalypse Goals. And it's a comedy. So what a bizarre experience that that is actually something that we could watch now that will actually make us feel better about our apocalypse, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Her episodes, uh, she did the first season on Snapchat. And these episodes are like five minutes long. You could probably see the whole season in an hour. And then she just, they just uh, are now uh, playing the second season. So she got picked up for a second season. So it is worth it. It is hilarious. And she looks like me and she talks like me and it's really funny (laughs) i remember after the last episode we looked her up and i was like holy shit you guys look just i mean obviously like sisters she's much younger yeah Yeah. but you could tell that you're related and everything it's it's pretty crazy that i see of her that i go whoa that looks like me like sometimes i mean i i didn't see it for a long like sometimes i really don't see it because i actually see you know i look at it and i see my husband more but then I see sometimes, you know, it catches me by the, uh, like, she'll post something. I'll be like, wait, is that me? No, wait, that's her. Like, it's pretty <laughs> cool. That's one of the benefits. Like, it's just very cool when you have kids. And one more thing, since we're talking about things, my husband, um, well, my husband is writing Night of the Museum. He, my husband wrote Fairly Odd Parents. That was his show. I mean, like. Oh, the, no the kidding. Chart, okay. Yeah. Right? If you ever saw Philly Odd Parents, that's he's Ray De Laurentiis. That's his name. And a, a, Nival, a Nelvana thing, part of Chorus Entertainment, where I work. Right, Red. There you go. There you yeah. go. So, so, um, so he he does that, and then my son Nick. Everybody, go. Okay, listen to Mother now. Okay, I'm Mother. Watch my children. <laughs> um, my son Nicholas De Laurentiis is on Spotify, and he came out with his first album, and he's 21, and he writes. Play, I mean, he plays his own music, writes, creates it, but his music is so um, poetic and like deep. And you, he play, and he's studied classical music. He does like uh, he plays the upright bass, but he's his he also plays in an indie band called Swatches. So he's and he's really handsome. But anyway, um, and bright <laughs> red curly hair, curly super. Curly. But anyway, so my kids are like really creative and. You got his his album is called Good Boy and it is it's really like you can play it in the background and like do stuff and listen. It's beautiful. It's just it's mind blowing. So there's all kinds of stuff going on in your household. So it, there, and that's just the tip of it. There's so much <laughs> like, oh, my God. And, you know, with Bill and Ted's three coming out. Right. So I just did four interviews this morning for four publications in the, in the UK. Uh, talking about Bill and Ted's because they're coming out with a 4K uh, quality DVD or Blu-ray. I don't know what you call Blu-ray it. Blu-ray release. Blu-ray, yeah. Of, of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. So it was interesting for me to to see that there were so many fans in the UK for Bill and Ted's. Oh, that's, yeah. It's huge. So I must have seemed authentic because that's a good thing. <laughs> well, I can't tell if you're French or English. It's It's tough. <laughs> A very good, a very good American accent. I'm really German. So that's what it is. <laughs> I'm not American. I don't know this French thing, but nobody knows I'm really German. Yeah. Yeah, your French <laughs> accent. It's it's very mean. It's very like you mean. sound or meme. It's very it's mean. It's hard to sound nice. 
Yeah, it, it, yeah. I guess like <laughs> it, you can't sound nice when you do a French accent. Oh, Brian Moreno says, uh, "Do you prefer to work on any specific genre?" Uh, he loves your comedies, but he liked Terravision too. And also ask her for a shout of of for me. I think shout he wants a shout me. out. So what's his name? <laughs> his name is Brian Moreno. Don't do hey. it. <laughs> <laughs> hey Brian Moreno. Don't do it. Okay. Um, <laughs> hey Brian Moreno. Hi, I'm in your name, and yay, you're out there. So hello from Diane Franklin. Um. So yeah, I love. I love doing a good character. And I don't care if that's a drama or a comedy. And I like doing things that are challenging. So I, I think the thing that's exciting to me is, um, like I just got sent for instance, a script recently to play a Puritan woman uh, uh, that was European. And I thought, oh, I like that. That's kind of a cool character. So, you know, and it was kind of a dark, psychic kind of thing going on. I, I, well, I have another movie that's coming out where I play a medium. I love that. Like, you know, to, for me to play those characters. So I, I like characters. That's my main thing. Um, I really would like to do maybe some sci-fi. The one thing I haven't done, which I would really love to do, is imagine me in outer space. <laughs> like, <laughs> imagine me in outer space. I mean, on a ship in outer space. I don't know whether it be, a, I could be a commander, but I could also be a woman set out, you know, to explore and just put them all together. So you have a yeah. mobster yep. vampire mm -hmm. that goes to Mars on a failed mission landing mission. Yeah. There you go. Boom. And I meet my daughter and we could do comedy mm -hmm. together. Right. Yeah. Well, we could flesh the We could flesh this out. Yeah. Yeah. It's Shut up and take my money just yeah. right now. I want to watch this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm gonna have to do yeah. I'm telling you, put it together. I'm there. So, uh... <laughs> So you got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I do. I, I, and the thing is, I think what's really fun for me is I like the, I like, I love comedy because I get it and I get things being very dry. Actually, one of the funniest things I've done recently is if you go on TikTok, I'm on TikTok, Off Canny. It's called Off Canny. Check it out. And they asked me to come and teach acting to these guys. And it was one of the first time I ever did um, like reality, like a, uh, you know, like a reality kind of thing. Uh -huh. these guys. And so they asked me to come on. So I'm like, okay, I got, I'm the acting teacher and I teach acting. So that was fine. But I don't usually teach the, that kind of thing. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this is a comedy thing. They're going to make fun of what I'm doing in a way. So I got to be the straight man. So I made myself, you know, like the serious acting teacher who is really like, you know, this is what you have to do and stuff. But I didn't want to play it like, I didn't want to play it in the sense that it was um, like the acting teacher who is critical. I was the acting teacher that, that everything you do is awesome. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, they were doing some terrible acting and I'm like, that's amazing. I love the way you actually spoke words. That was great. <laughs> and then I came to them with a script and I'm, they told me, you know, I could teach anything. I was thinking, oh, maybe I could teach them Shakespeare and stuff. And I was trying to be like sensitive to like, you know, theater and students and people. And TikTok. Yeah. 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 Right. So, but I, I found this script and I thought, oh, this is really cool. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll use it. I'll have them do a scene that's very serious, but then I'll give them like kind of direction in a funny way. And I go to find the script and there's a character in the script called gay. The and name is gay? The character's name is gay. 
And the two guys who were doing it, I knew that this is, they're going to rip on it. You know what I mean? Like they're going to like take this wherever they can. I didn't know what they were going to do, but I knew that as a teacher, I'm going to say, you're gay. You're playing gay. (laughs) All right. And it was like, you know, the, the routine of, um, Who's on first? Who's on second? Yeah. Yeah, 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 of course. That's what it was like. So the TikTok version of it is, okay, so you're playing gay. And he's like, what? I'm not gay, but you're gay. You're playing gay. And the other guy goes, you're gay. And he's like, I'm not gay. He's like, yes, you are. Well, I don't know. You know what I mean? So that's <laughs> and I'm like, and I play it so straight. And it was, it's one of those things I looked at and I went, I, I was actually brilliant. Like that was a really brilliant moment. So if you get to see it off canny, um, I'm, I think I'm in two, two of their little things, but it's, and it went viral. Like it went super viral because it wasn't, um, the most important thing, obviously, you know, I love people who are gay. It has no bearing on me. Well, you know, I think it's awesome. I have, I'm not somebody like that, right. but I, it's just a joke, but it's, some people, and it's, but it's yeah. one of those, it's those hot words, you know, right. yeah. the fact that I found a character named gay was just like for not phenomenal. It was phenomenal. So, um, yeah. It's one of the greatest. Well, that's the same thing that happened to Joey Buttafuoco, and they changed it to Guy. Yes. Yeah. Right. I wish, I, wish I, had, I wish I had taught him. I would have said, now, Joey, you're gay. Okay? And he'd like, right? be like, no, I'm not. Yeah. I paid for yeah. a hook. Have I'm I not paid this yet? <laughs> right? And I'm going to kill you. Right? No. <laughs> my wife's going to kill you. Okay? No, my, my girlfriend's going to kill you. Or my girlfriend. My, my ex-girlfriend. Somebody's killing somebody. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on, though. That's awesome. You have so much stuff going on. We need to get you back on again because as a judge, you're perfect because you get the game. You you get how everything goes yeah. and the stuff you kind of appreciate, even though our news today was the worst of. Yeah. If it was a best of episode, I think you would have had more fun with it. Uh, I don't know. No, I think both I sides are pretty time. fun. Worst is really good. And maybe uh, we could even, um, I'll see if my daughter's, if she has time, that would be funny if the two of us were judges. Yeah, yeah we've great. we've done that before with two judges. It is pretty awesome because it's always fun to see how two people have, you know, their opinions differ. Yeah. Right. And then you guys have right. to argue it out <laughs> over who do you exactly. think? You know, we're gets very funny together. We have we also one last thing. If you want to see our do- my daughter and I, uh, we had a little uh, talk show called um, on YouTube. Um, it was called Live and Die in L.A., which is live as in Olivia and die as in Diane in L.A. Nice. So if you yeah, and you find it. And we do like she gave me her social media and let me like what is it? The one where you uh, Tinder. She let me find. T- guys oh, God. And it was, I mean, crying, laughing. We cried oh, so hard. So you funny. see me going swipe, 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 swipe. He wants to do what? No, get you know what I mean. Like <laughs> <laughs> your mother swiping on Tinder. So oh. she's a great sport. She's hilarious. So yeah, let's do it. We'll, we'll figure out. Yeah, I have your email address. We'll, we'll figure out another date. Okay. Well, you guys are hilarious. I had a great time. Thank you. Uh, it was Thank a blast. you so much. So I hope the audience enjoyed it. Let me know about the feedback on everything too. If oh, people of course. Like it. All right, jewelers. Well, I guess we'll end this episode right here. Again, I want to congratulate Man Crush on finally picking up a victory. No, thank you. (laughs) And I want to thank our great celebrity guest judge, the wonderful Diane Franklin, for coming in and judging this episode. But if you've missed an episode, don't worry, duelers. You can always go over to DuelingDecades.com, where you can subscribe to the show on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, wherever podcasts are available. And then in the meantime, head over to Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades, 
where you can join the other 50,000 duelers and share some of your very own retro memories. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.